hope y'all like the melodious voice coming from Terrence Abney, who I am. And and his uh, co-host, Travis Poppleton. And welcome, everyone, to the Connecticut show. Um, happy Sunday, everyone. Yes. You're probably not out in your garden, as Travis like to say sometimes. Not this time. At least if you're listening here in Connecticut, if you're listening live on the radio, there's a good chance you are not out in your gardens today. But there's also a good chance that your water table is really high. Right. So if you're enjoying a coffee or or just spending a quiet evening with a book, I, I'm grateful that you put it down for a minute to listen to the Connecticut show here on WHUS Stores. And for those of you catching us on the podcast, wherever you are, thanks for thanks for listening. Indeed. Shout out to Cody who told me he binged the ep- some episodes on the drive somewhere. We always appreciate some new customers. Yeah, Cody, thanks for listening. Yep. Cody, you know who you are. <laughs> we um as we were starting the show, we were talking about schools. I have um three of my children are actually at different universities, one here at Yukon. And got them smart babies. And they are about to graduate actually. I'm getting so old and and they're about to move on with life and you were saying that your um daughter is looking at where to go next. Yes. And um, how even with some of the scholarships she's being offered, it doesn't really offset some of the advantages of staying in state. Yeah, colleges are so, if you're going to do it by cost, unless you're looking at getting full scholarships, it's just everything's so expensive, even fees. Like we're looking at fees some places like full rides, and I think you can easily do between four dollars $8,000 in fees for your student in in an academic year, which... Which actually probably used to be the cost to go to some schools for tuition, room, and board. I don't want to get you in trouble, so let's kind of keep UConn out of the 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 section here, because I don't want you to speak anything directly to UConn. But you're you're actually getting you know advanced degrees in education. I think you're studying other universities, so this might be an interesting conversation and something I, I want to lead into. But um, when People talk about teachers, right? They're like, oh, teachers don't get paid anything. Right. And then you talk about universities that have these very high fees, whether they're warranted or not. And and my first question is, is a college professor, um, are they, do they see the difference? Because, you know, a lot of these private universities get so much money. Are they paid compared to a high school 12th grade teacher, 12th grade math teacher, um, let's say that they're making seventy thousand, which, which frankly, I think would be really high for uh, for a for a high school for teacher. A high school teacher, yeah, that's that would be pretty high, um, especially starting out. What what is the discrepancy between a college professor who's teaching math at mm-hmm. one of these universities? Are they in the hundred fifty two hundred thousand range? It, it I think it depends on school. It depends on if this student, I mean, excuse me, if this professor is an adjunct professor or a part time professor. It depends on if they do research or not. There's several levels. So I would I would argue that overall professors and teachers are still probably underpaid. So, uh, I think there's just so but there's so many factors to it. Like I have friends who are professors and they might get a job for a hundred and fifty, which anywhere is pretty good, but they have to bring in fifty percent or more of their salary via grants or via their research. So they're writing grants, they're doing research. And I think that's the trick when you look at schools, specifically whether it is, it, is this a teaching college where they don't 
where they aren't necessarily required to do the research or to the research to research one to where that is how money gets brought into the school. And that's how sometimes the university serves, you know, I will say the state or greater people kind. So part of the part of the job requirement is writing grants to bring even more money into the college. Grant, grants and research, yeah. That definitely helps move helps move the needles on on like again the what ranking the school may be. Also may help move the noodle, needle on like how much money is coming into the school because it goes back you know, what type of lab do you have? Yeah. Well, if you write grants for a specific lab or you got labs that can do that, you can do specific research in, then does goes, it can, it can lead into the name of that school, the prestige of that school. When I say school, that specific school within the university um, and the university in general. It, yeah. I, I would wonder, like, then where does the Costco? I don't know what you think of John Stewart, but there's a lot of hype about him coming back to The Daily Show. And so, sorry to left to take a hard left turn, but we're going to come back here. Um, for for those of you who grew up in like early 2000s or like watch news in early 2000s, John Stewart was kind of a big voice on The Daily Show, was taken over by Trevor Noah, and Trevor Noah has just left, and John Stewart was just fired from Apple. Um, because he, you know, for for whatever reasons those were, and so he's coming back to the Daily Show, right? right? And one of the did thing, not know that one of the things that he mentioned before, like he drew this chart once, where he was like, okay, so we pay our tax dollars, right? And the tax dollars go to the state, and then the state turns around or the federal, and they give it to like universities, right? And then that's supposed to be this like nice circle, except then you still pay exactly the same fees to go to that college, right? You've actually gained nothing for it. So you've paid tax dollars so that they could pay for that college. And then you still pay for that college as if you've never paid the tax dollars, right? Right. And obviously with the private universities, this is different. But I'm wondering like when these, when when like a single student is paying 150000 a year, right? And we're talking about an extreme one here, right? But let's just say anywhere from thirty to 100000 a year. And you have X amount of students on a campus. We have a lot of students here on UCO. Right. Seems like you could afford to pay your teachers, right? Like, it seems like part of the job description as a teacher shouldn't be to try and, like, get your salary, you know? Like, what what am I missing? What is the dis- discrepancy there? there? There's a couple of things. It is, that theory is true of really school should be a lot less expensive but I think a lot of it goes back to, and we're having similar conversations uh, somewhere amongst a group one time. It's it, it ends up being more complicated. It it costs money to keep, it costs money to keep the lights on in the school. It costs money to pay. It's just not professors. It's just everybody that works at the school. You got, you know, custodial staff. You have maintenance staff, and maintainers. You have their supervisors administrative assistants and so on people like myself who are just staff so all you put you you have to pay all those in the fringes then you talk about and I was always say the lights and the bills and then you and then you have professors the president gets the president gets a check so everything takes money to run these educational corporations so to speak yeah but before we started you said in addition 
right? In addition to the cost you pay to go to the university, then you pay fees. I feel like a lot of those fees are going to administrative assistance and to the person that is keeping the law nice and, you know, like... Somewhat, but so, again... Somewhere we're covering that cost to students. Somewhat, but again, I just think... And again, I'm not in the financial side as much, but I, again, that's why I was like, it gets more complicated. It should be... I will say this. I think it should be more simple. Yeah. And we should have more of a... Because again, you you also pay for your child may have to pay a, a pay a fee for their like their insurance. They help they can do the healthcare fee. Then there's a technology fee that goes along with that. Then there's the um people most people pay fees for whatever recreation services they have. So th- there is a ton of fees. It's and I will it's it is ridiculous, but I think part of it also is when you say the federal funding and taxes. If you Less of those taxes are going to schools now also. Yeah. So and, you're talking about there's, there's, not a, yeah. there's not a lot of there's not as much money being funneled into education as people think, especially. So here's the thing. Also, when you look at these aren't the only taxes, it's, it's not like your taxes are just going to one school. Sure. Like here you have UConn, but you also have the state systems, state systems in Connecticut. So just in that, what we have. There's five university campuses with stores being the main branch. And then there's, I think, four Central Connecticut State, Eastern Connecticut State, Western Connecticut State, and did I say Southern? Southern Connecticut State University. Then you have, I believe, a lot of the community colleges, which are public. So I think when you just add those in, all that money is kind of going in different pots. And I think some some universities you, probably get more. You can make the same argument for high schools though, right? And high school yeah. teachers aren't required to write grants for their own checks, right? So like, yeah. I, I see where you're going with this and I and I see that it's more complicated, you know, that very few issues are as... Yeah, and it's and it's, and it's frustrating because we, what's, what's really happened also, and to kind of say this, schools have put the rising costs and the lack of state and federal funding that's going on the back of the students. So that's that's kind of what happens is this tuition and fees and things go up. And you wonder like what's and some people wonder what's happening. Like if there's a if we're cut three percent, are told to cut three percent, and that's been happening for years, this is this is like um this is like your compound interest. Like this, yeah. It's, it's like your, it's 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 like your uh, your your mutual funds. It's but, not a lot, but over these years, it compounds, and it, it's um. I will say we we got to find something because I feel like the bubble's gonna pop. The bubble's gonna pop one day, like two thousand eight, and and what we we see all the time. Like there's a certain place to where you price people out, and education truly, truly does become. It's already already a privilege to go to school. But it truly becomes like only the privileged can really go to school. The, uh, what what I find, and this is just surface because I, I don't really understand this, what I find kind of reprehensible is that the way that universities are dealing with this is going to 18-year-old children and saying, well, you could just go get a loan for this, right? Go get this loan. And now, you know, the loan used to be $7,000 a year and now it's $100,000. But it doesn't matter because you're going to make that up. You're going to get such a better job that it's okay. And university professors are smart enough to know and people running universities are smart enough to know that 18-year-old kids have no idea what money is. 
And so these are <laughs> yeah. basically predatory loans, as far, as far as I'm concerned. School loans to 18-year-old children that are going to last them a lifetime are predatory loans. And to continue to take the cost and say, well, let's just put it on the 18-year-olds. Let's put it on the 18-year-olds because they don't know any better. I feel that's unethical. And I feel like in addition to, we're way off topic, but oh, no, we're going somewhere, we're going somewhere with this. But um, like, I just feel like as I'm, as I'm looking more and more into this, the system is not just, you know, I totally understand that the universities are hurting and that some of the cost is coming um, from the state and that's, you know, maybe being pulled back. But I think it is wrong for educated people to say, well, who is the stupidest person in this situation? Let's take advantage of them. And that's exactly what it seems like is happening because the loans are getting higher and higher. The interest is lasting longer and longer. These are lifetime debts that you're putting oh, on 18 year old children and, and college professors and university presidents, they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And what they're not doing is saying, well, I'll take less money. That conversation isn't coming up. Right. And the I, that's one thing I said before too, you yeah. never, I've never heard a president say, you know, well, I'm going to get 300,000, but I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll take 200,000 because y'all are giving me a house a car I can use and some other fringes that I can offset this and maybe and maybe live off this two hundred versus this three hundred, four hundred, yeah. or however much some presidents make. Okay, some of them make significantly more than that. And it, you know, again, but again, it, it's that cycle. It's that pyramid cycle, right? Of where, where who's who but, backs but this stuff all. Anytime on. you take the weakest person in that and continue to push all of the burden on them, mm -hmm. to me that's unethical. And mm -hmm. so there's there's something inherently unethical happening right now in college, in in higher education. Now it's been happening though. That's that's the thing. It's 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 been, this cycle's been happening. As you start, you see these schools go up, 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 and even again, you go back. You see you're starting to see it with uh, going back to your point about you know publics who are like grade school. It's like some of those things. It's it's wild and it's hard. It's really hard to catch up. And when you see who it, who it really affects, like for a lot of people can afford to send their kids to private school. Not a lot, but I should say not a lot of people can afford the kids send their kids to private school. But they're very privileged. That's where some of their kids go. Or even if you go and I was, it was an interesting topic in a class one time that we were having, and this makes sense. It's like some of those kids go to public school, and you mentioned. Like some people on the, uh, I'll call it the Gold Coast. Like some of those public schools rank very high in some of these neighborhoods and these neighborhoods that are more affluent. And people say like, well, they pay their taxes. And it's like people in the other neighborhoods pay their taxes also. The problem is when you start doing that, it's what what tax bracket neighborhood can you stay in? Because, and there's been some studies to back this up. I'm not just making this up, but- if the money that the average pay in, let's say, uh, Willimantic or Waterbury or like a, or Bristol, which are traditionally like, again, like I, and I'm saying traditionally, is not the average pay in Greenwich. Greenwich is going to be significantly, high, significantly higher. Fairfield is going to be significantly higher. So in reality, they could do, and I'm throwing numbers out here. If they're they're ten percent going into a school system there, it's significantly more than even twenty five percent 
that a town may pay, 25% of the taxes that somebody may pay somewhere else, even with less people, because the offset of the of the pay is just so significant. Yeah, this is a perfect segue, thank you. Thank you, you nailed this. Um, so I actually wanna talk about something that happened last night. Um, but first of all, I, I, I said, and I wanna correct this, I said the stupidest, you know, they put the burden on the stupidest. I wanna, I wanna rephrase that. They put it on the least experienced. Mm-hmm. They put it on the people that are in the room that don't know all the information, right? So sorry, I said that, you know, the stupidest people, I don't mean to say that 18 year old students are stupid. Some of them are far more intelligent than I am. They are the least experienced in life. And so for you to take advantage of that, knowing you know you're taking advantage of that Mm -hmm. and there's no one in this system that does not realize by putting the financial burden on 18 year olds they know what they're doing right oh another budget cut fine we're gonna put it on 18 year olds right Mm -hmm. that's that's okay but here's here's (laughs) here's the transition i'm so glad you brought up if i could jump in real quick even even some places when you get tuition free i want to say this and like but you have to pay room and board there are some places to where room, your room and board is going to get you towards $20,000. Yeah. And Easy. so that's yeah. the thing. It's yeah. like, yo, well, that's that's more than what I paid all four years of college, I believe. Right. All right. I mean, excuse me, more than per, more per year than what college costs for me. My youngest daughter is in high school and she is so smart. Shout out. Yes, she is. Uh, and she's especially creative. So like she will spend her days writing or she'll spend her days drawing. Mm. Uh, she creates these beautiful animations. And growing up, I thought of myself as something as an artist. And it's really fun to see her be better, right? It's it's fun to see her doing things that I wish I had done or was able to do. So she's just really, really talented. And um there's a school here in Willimantic. I'm so glad you brought up Willimantic because I think in one episode you said Wyndham County, where Willimantic is, is the least funded. I don't know if you said in the country, but definitely in the state, right? Did I say that? I, well, I was just I was just making the reference of just. It was. I think you read an article or something. Oh, you talk. This is before. This is several episodes ago. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Previous episodes, you'd said there Wyndham was. was the least funded, at yes. least in the state, possibly. Probably not in the country, but it, it's un, it's underfunded. It was definitely in the state. Yeah. Definitely underfunded, yes. Significantly. Okay. So the only like artsy high school that is around here mm-hmm. for my daughter is there in Willimantic. And she's there and she and several of her friend students made these films, right? Uh, she did a PSA and she and a couple of her friends did a dramatic film. I thought both were fine. Both were, were fine films, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a, so EastCon does a film festival. There are actually several student film festivals around the state. And we go to hers last night. I go to see her, her thing. Awesome. And um, so, I'm, so I'm sitting there, Terrence. This is so good. I'm sitting there. And so we're in the documentary section. And these documentaries start coming up. And they're all very similar, by the way. A lot, I should say, like, there, there's a certain class of documentary they keep showing where they pick one subject and kind of put, as the, as the subject tells their story, they put the pictures and the videos of the thing, you know, classic documentary style. But I'm noticing, so when the, when the festival starts, they're like, thank you, we know people have come from a really long way to be here. And I was like, really? How, how far could you have come, right? Because I'm not really getting that this is a statewide thing. And even if it is a statewide thing, how many people really came to EastCon tonight, right? Mm-hmm. So these documentary entries start and suddenly people are talking about 
um, their really um, high placed um, friends that were influenced by 9-11. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And then next it was like, uh, there was an interview of some like CBS broadcaster who was a war correspondent and um, he was hit. It's a very incredible story. Like I'm listening to it thinking, wow. But in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking, these people don't live in Willimantic, right? Like the kids in Willimantic do not have access to these people. Right. The next person is some person who uh, wanted to really find out about themselves. So they went to the African deserts of, and they set a country for a year to like find their identity. And they came back and realized that great. that. That's what we're doing. Uh-huh. Uh, I totally agree. They came back and realized that organic food was the thing. And so they teamed up with Martha Stewart. And I was like, no one in Willimantic mm -hmm. is teaming up with Martha Stewart, right? And I'm noticing that these are quality, right? These are, they're not the best. These are still student films. And I'm like, oh, you know, you could do better here. I'm thinking this because I was a film critic. Like, right. I, I, this is absolutely what I've studied for a long time. Right. And then like when... My daughter's goes on, which is great. I could see that the polish isn't there, but not only is the polish not there, but the access mm -hmm. to other people's not there. And I'm not really putting anything together other than, you know, maybe some school was like, you really got to go outside the box. Don't be afraid to talk to these people. I'm still thinking everything is obtainable. So at the end of the night, um, they start giving out the awards, right? And there's this one young woman who wins an award and they they said like if your school like wasn't able to attend and you're from that school feel free to like get their award for them and she goes and gets her award and comes back and sits down and then they call something and it's clearly from her school so she goes back up and then uh this time she doesn't sit down and she just says should i just stay up here and i'm like wow that is that is, that's nerve i like yeah, it that's what it's like. by the way no disrespect to this this young woman she was lovely her project was lovely um and and i know i know exactly what she was thinking i don't want to keep going back up now but it mm -hmm. was like just a call right it was like babe ruth just pointing to the and she was right she was right she just sat up there took every single award went and sat back down for the next category she went up the only one that our willimantic school won was second place in music video and there were only two entries. Wow. And so I like, I lean over to Lou and I'm like, what school is that? And she's like, Greenwich. And I went, oh. And as soon as she said that, I was like, there it is. That like, that is, that that is, that is Connecticut, right? Mm -hmm. They're down there with private tutors, private teachers, they probably have this really amazing film program there. Not only do they have that film program, they have access to, to, to people who are millionaires, billionaires, right? And here we are, a little Willimantic, trying to like ask someone who has organized a parade, you know, <laughs> like just a community parade. And that's just, that's just not interesting enough, right? Right. You know? and, and so I'm watching this and I'm thinking, I want nothing more than to beat them, right? Like I want to go volunteer <laughs> at this school. Right. I want to like just dedicate all of my hours and do like, I don't know if you saw cheer, but it's like that little tiny college in Texas and it's the best cheer. Like I was mm. like, oh, nothing would bring me more joy <laughs> than next year have them sit down and like have one of the Willimantic kids up there. Um, but like that is a volunteer thing, right? Like mm -hmm. that's me saying that's how I'm going to spend the next... 200 hours is dedicating 
um, that time with the kids, which is noble. Like this is where volunteer things are, are fantastic. And maybe that is what I'll do. I don't know. I have so many questions on how you would even do that or like how you would start, how I would write for my own grants to start something so that many underprivileged schools have access to that equipment, to that knowledge, to that kind of um, mentorship, right? And how much are those grants? I think a question is how much are those grants going to provide? Right. Because they could provide a lot, but you're still going up against the monster. You, it, It's like I, I think if we you do win. college football, it's yeah. like you're still going against Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan. You know, they I, I saw the quality. We could we could beat them. That money machine. Yeah, is yeah there. but no, I hear you, but we could beat them. Yeah. Anyway, so like Oh no, I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying too, right? And, and yeah, like when we beat them, they would just pour more money in it, right? Mm-hmm. And also they have access to like people NYU film and stuff, right? And they just they would just bring them in, right? Like it would become a war, and that's fine. That's fine. All I'm saying is Yeah, <laughs> become a I'm not, all I'm saying is like to see the reason them winning is simply access and privilege and money because I know how talented my daughter is and I yeah. know how talented her friends it's not are. The t- it's not the, not the other talent too, right? And that's the funny thing. Like These kids are talented, the ones that are in this program. Uh, this is no disrespect to their kids. It, it's just yeah. it's just the talent. It's, if, like, if you just do talent across the board, there's, there, there's a clear difference of like who's winning because of, like you said, the access. Yeah. So if you think like I see what my daughter does and I see that she will at the end of a day, she'll come home and start drawing and she'll start going on tutorials and figure out how to get better and better. And we're not talking like, oh, she'll do that from time to time. We're talking like hours and hours and hours of her Mm -hmm. day. And then on her weekends, she picks a animation project and she works on that all day. Right. If you took that same amount of time and gave them a private tutor, you know. How much further are they going to go, right? right? And then if you send them to a special school where they have all the equipment and they have NYU, you know, access or whatever it is, whatever film school is coming in and, and training them special because they're they're Greenwich, right? Because right. they're not coming to Willimantic, they're not coming here. And so you you look at that and you say what what can be done about that? But also also and this kind of bugged me. So at the end of the night. They're walking out and she did such a great job and it's her and her um, parents. And I'm like, oh, congratulations. I thought those were um, really, really fine films or something. And I said something like, and, and um, I enjoyed your film as well. Uh-oh. And she, <laughs> she and her mom did not even acknowledge me. And the dad was like, oh, goodness, a poor person. And he didn't say that, but like, he just kind of like, just kind of sighed and it was like, uh, like just kind of a, kind of a. Yeah, moves I, his head I, up. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It moves his head up like, uh, oh. And like, I feel like as they were leaving, you know, they're like, I'm sorry the poor person got so close to you. Like, that's what I felt like he was saying. Like, I'm sorry we had to get so close to the poor people. I didn't let their poorness get on you. You know, something, you know, like it was so condescending the kind of mm-hmm. reaction I got when I was sincerely like congratulating them. And I, and, and again, no disrespect to her. She was lovely and her film was great. And to your point, we're talking, we're not talking like their kids versus our kids. We're talking that system there versus the system that we have here. And why are people in Greenwich okay with Waterberries and Willimantics? Like, why aren't they more proud of their state? Why don't they care about their neighbors? Uh, and we've talked about this before. Like, it's almost like if... Willimantic and Waterbury didn't exist, they wouldn't feel good enough about themselves, right? Like part of the reason 
that Greenwich is Greenwich is because there's a Waterbury next door. So you wouldn't want Waterbury to do better because then you wouldn't seem as classy as you are. And I know that that's super judgmental. Like it's just some of the anger in me. <laughs> but goodness, I feel it. Like I just feel like there's such a, we won't feel good about ourselves unless someone right next door is significantly worse off. Right. And that, and that, I felt that so much last night. So as we started talking before the show, mm-hmm. um, and and we were talking about colleges, like the whole thing just started playing into my mind. And so sorry, we were getting into predatory lending and colleges and universities. Oh but, no, I, I yeah. think it, it relates because you just see it, you see it here, and we have these similar conversations with schools here. Of again, what is an endowment really, and what do endowments do, and how much money these schools have, and you know, you see, and it's not, I'm not trying to make it a battle between the schools that are considered Ivies, like the Stanford's and of course the ones in the actual Ivy League, Harvard, Yale, and those schools, and between like the UMass's, UMaine's, and all those places, but this, there's some significant, there's just some significant gaps there, and again, there's, there's the private piece, there's like Harvard and Yale have been around significantly longer than really UConn. Like Harvard has U- Harvard has UConn beat by almost 200 years as far as its founding, you know. So there's something to that. And but it's just a it's just a weird game. And when you see and when you see certain things, you see, you see it's that privilege and money follows. We were like we were talking about some endowments and you if you hear that UMaine has a four hundred, four hundred million dollar endowment. I, know, I think around maybe ten, eleven, twelve thousand students, and UConn has a five hundred something, five hundred fifty million dollar endowment. I'm not speaking out of. If anybody wants to know this, Google it. I'm probably off some millions or so, but UConn's five hundred and something million. Then if you do UMass, UMass just hit one point six billion, and I forgot there. I think they're a little larger than those other two schools. I would guess UMass, the the flag the flagship campus in UMass and Amherst and stores, UConn stores are probably the bigger campuses as far as state schools in New England. One point six billion in it, but then you get to like some of these private schools, and we looked at this. Do you know what the you heard of Trinity in Hartford, right? Yeah. So fairly well known schools. Some people call them little. They're they're they they. For their size, they're they're hitting with heavyweights more or less, like Trinity, right. Williams, Amherst College. They're they're swinging with the heavyweights. But Trinity, though, although less money than some of these other schools, Trinity has a seven hundred million dollar endowment. UConn's is again, like I said, five hundred million. Trinity has. 2,000 something students. Yeah. And so, and then you go to Harvard's endowment, and that's 50 billion. <laughs> and then funny. Yale, like 40 billion. And then even you knock it down, Cornell, 10 billion. Yeah. Which is significantly less, of course. And even Brown, which I think is the least endowed of all the schools, is, is six, 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 seven billion. Give or take a billion, I guess. But um, yeah. But it, we wouldn't want to be a billion off there, right? But those, those, and then you go Stanford. Stanford's endowment is significantly, you know, I, those things follow. And then of course, and I'm not even talking about. 
some of our state schools or other schools that aren't uh, don't have a large endowments and you look at the state of a lot of these colleges that are struggling that that follows and then then who graduates from there who gets in, who gets access to these schools who graduates from these schools and then who gives back you know i think it's all it's all a weird kind of we saying with the taxes in the areas like who what area is this who who lives in these areas and then of course if there's a demographic change who moves in and what happens to those schools then you know there's but hey maybe we are conspiracy theorists who are just all wrong travis no studies done on this i, I probably think, is but you right, aren't you doing some studies on this right now for your graduate work no i'm not what what is your what is your thesis or whatever you're working on who knows but I, i'll be <laughs> writing tonight <laughs> I will be writing tonight. I've changed it a couple of times. I was looking at alcohol one time, and then um, I was looking at uh, looking at identity-based living learning communities, which is probably what I'm doing right now. But it's uh, I'm not gonna be one of the people who get out of here in uh in December. I'll tell you that. What What is? I'm sorry. Say that topic one more time. Identity-based. Live in learning communities. Help me understand that. Learn, learning communities are more or less communities they have in college. It's a high-impact practice. It's considered a high-impact practice, according to George Koo, who did some studies on this. Shout out George Koo in Wisconsin. Might not be his name, but K-U-H is definitely his last name. And I could be mispronouncing that. Never met him, never listened to his name pronounced. So I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it for people who are real, like, you know, scholars on this stuff. Yeah. I was gonna say geeks, but that sounded so mean, right? You, you, you're being so weird. You, you are becoming a scholar on this. You are but, exactly who people would look to as the scholar on this. No, I hope not. But <laughs> it's a high impact practice, and so high impact practices are practices that help students, more or less, for late term, stay in school and achieve higher in school. A learning community is a community of students that are in a group or in a community that are based on based on some type of commonality. It can be on major, it can be by identity, it can be major and identity based. It can just be a special interest group like is identity here demographic? Like define identity it, it for depends. me. So we have like there's there's a whole bunch of schools that have like a women in STEM learning community or living learning community where they live on the floor but they also they also all STEM majors. There's there are like Allied Health I've seen I've seen it with like kinesiology. There's a floor like so it's by majors. And again, like I said, whimsy would be women in STEM. I've seen it with people interested in black and we have we have one at UConn for black men. So there's first of all, whimsy is such a cool name. Yeah, women in science, engineering, math, yeah. Yeah. Kudos to whoever came up with whimsy. That's pretty rad. That was me. Wow. Um, but so, um, and so Just, then, for the record, y'all, that was not me. I don't want people thinking I'm trying to steal somebody's idea. I, I also love the idea that some man came in and gave the good name for, for whimsy. <laughs> that was Terrence that said that everybody. All right. So, um, so there's these identity based. And so would the research be to see if they're more successful? Like, are you asking the question, you know, are we coming out with higher GPAs? Are we coming out with more uh, more students actually graduating or is it a different topic entirely? Research has shown that, that that learning communities, especially when done well, do lead to students um, 
to the students um, being retained at a higher rate or persisting persisting in school at a higher rate. Um, it also shows that they oftentimes have a higher sense of belonging. There are some other things that you have to look at also. Uh, some people, there's some research that shows that some students have a, a harder time getting to know people outside of the learning community. I think, and that may be, but again, I think that payoff is like, that's, that's usually covered at some point. Because a lot of stuff shows like that might be the first, second semester that I've, again, that at least that I've read. But after the end, that, that's covered. So it's shown that they work. I think they definitely, you definitely see a sense of belonging in there. I've seen ones for community service also. So again, that's what learning communities are for in my, lay terms. Um, I have a daughter who was in a, I, I don't believe it was called Whimsy, but she was in a um, Women of STEM area on the same floor with uh, female engineers. Yeah. Uh, she felt really excluded from it. Feel free to reach out to her for your research. She ended up leaving the major entirely. Mm -hmm. um, but I hear what you're saying, and it, and, it, and it seems very obvious that those additional support systems and making feel people making people feel seen mm -hmm. and included, it makes sense that that would drive productivity, efficiency, belonging. You know, um, belong is a. I think belong is the big piece. Yeah. in a lot of it, like students. You want students to feel they students get here and you want them to feel like they belong. There's a certain part of intimidation that's going to happen because this is a huge transition. This is not just an adjustment period. You're not making a slight adjustment from college to high school. Oftentimes you're making this is a pretty huge adjustment in a whole bunch of factors from the social factors to a lot of times the academic piece. Uh, and I will say again, I see that a lot. Like everybody's not into the living, the learning community thing. There's still beefs that happen. You still, still, there's always cliques that form within the learning community. Yeah, because so, that that seems like the obvious counter, right? Like as soon as you start saying I belong to this group, immediately you're, ex you know, you're being part of some exclusion, and it's very easy for people within an exclusion to say, oh, well, we're better than that group, right? I mean. It's the it's the it's the nature of any group, right? I guess that would be like the counter argument, and I, I imagine you'll go down that road as well, or however that works. But um, I have a totally random question. So random question. It's random, but it's totally related. It's not that random. Um, you know, one of the things that I was working on in uh, the last kind of area that I was focusing in with with my profession was diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in um, in the workforce. And so you don't have to worry about that anymore after these next couple of Supreme Court <laughs> cases. We, we were very worried about all the Supreme Court cases and everyone was absolutely affecting what we could even put into a product or, or things that, that um, we could highlight or even visualize. Like we couldn't give certain data points based on some of the Supreme Court um, decisions that were coming out, which I thought was quite interesting. We can get into that at a other time. Here's the thing I want to ask that you, is, though. That has just depressed me. Yeah, here's the other thing I want to ask you, though. Um, there's a man by the name Brian Reeves who is uh, one of the key diversity, I believe he's the chief um, diversity officer at UKG. And he said, we should start, we should stop dropping the B. We should get rid of the B of DEIB. And um, he said, we, we should stop talking about it as belonging and instead just talk about it as diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the way that I took it was that like inclusion and belonging might be synonyms, you know, and maybe that was the the point. 
Just curious though, because I never actually went down that road. I just took his word for it. And frankly, we never stopped. We always still, <laughs> we kept calling it DEIB anyway. Um, but do you know the, the randomness of it is, this is just my, my personal question. Uh, do you know why the B would be dropped if that's a trend that we're heading toward? I, I, I have never, when you said that, I, I've never heard of the belonging piece being added into the DEI work. Oh, I, you've always heard as DEI. DEI. And I've heard multiple iterations of all this yeah. from multicultural to, then it just went to diversity. Then it went to diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, again, we're all people are always trying to add and, and uh, my hope is, is always because we want to be better at doing this work with people and maximizing everybody's everybody's talents uh, as long as those talents aren't, you know, sexist, racist and all that stuff. Uh, but won't be able to say that pretty soon either because you make people I, feel I bad. I have to ask you about which which court case you're referring to right now. All, just just all of them. Okay. I mean, I, there's a lot of efforts by states and on federal levels to just take out diversity, equity, and inclusion in in the work. Like there are states that are, you can't say those words in the curriculums. There are states that are taking out certain readings that readings that they but were probably allowed before. Like I think we're gonna see. Uh, Again, I think when you have a system and going back to what you're saying about systems, the unfortunate thing about when you have systems and people start pushing against it, I think sometimes we forget that the system pushes back. Like when people say things are like going like what we're seeing is the system correcting itself. This is not like, oh, this is so terrible that the Supreme Court's making these decisions or they, you know, with the Roe versus work. Wade reversal. That's a correction that the system's making, in my opinion. I, uh, I think we can go down that road because I, I think we want to define correction. Are you saying correction because the system is what the system is? And as you start to like veer off of it, it's going to bring you back to the kind of that that flow of the river that's taking you, you know, that, that, that's already established. You know how you said earlier stuff is so inequitable? Yeah. And... Greenwich, and so I th I'll go back to the example. Let's say you came in, and Wyndham Windham start having these great projects, and you and you said earlier, but that'll probably just lead to somebody else putting more money into these schools or the next project, or getting the assistance they need to be better. Which again, in a sense, that's what Wyndham would be doing. Also, they're getting assistance to be better. But the system would correct itself to say, no, 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 this shouldn't be happening. Right. Why is I, I, this happening? And okay. so that's what happens with with all these things. You know, you go, you know, you go back through history, like power, privilege, people in, who have power and privilege, they don't necessarily give it away freely. They give away some and they do some things to to uh, to uh, um, appease sometimes but they don't necessarily give it all away freely. So I think a lot of this stuff is just corrections that you hear all the time. People, I literally heard during certain periods, like, oh, people just got tired of being nice. They got tired of not being able to use certain language. They, and I'm like, that is wild to me. Yes. Because you want the right to say, you want the right to say the N-word, but you want acknowledge. Why do you want to say that word to somebody you know, there's debates. Oh, they rapping it in a song. Yeah, yeah, you know, I guess all that stuff is debatable. But 
you need to acknowledge. Why do you feel like you should have the power to say that word, especially to somebody or just yell it out and think it's not going to offend anybody? And it's like, but nobody ever wants to have a conversation. Like, what's what's that? It's, but again, it's power, it's privilege. Like, I have these, I have these rights, and I think on either side, the the systems correct themselves to go back to being like what they are, and and so that's that's my piece. Like, I don't see we're not as far from we're not as far from the 1940s, 50s, 60s as we think we are. And if you go back, there are some. There's some landmark cases back then that were made that struck down civil rights, civil rights. And there's some landmark cases now that people will argue are taking away civil rights. And then people who are making laws say, oh, no, no, they're not. They're just doing A, B and C. Um, and we can always have a debate, but there's some basic people rights, human rights that are like, there, there, there definitely is some. There's again, there's definitely some danger. I, pretty soon, we won't. I won't say sexes and races on the podcast because they'll be like, "Oh, you can't be out there being a what? It, I, I forgot a baiter. You can't be out there being a race and gender baiter." I think um, so. The reason I was asking was mostly because correction generally has a positive connotation, and I wanted to make sure that I was understanding that you, in this case, we're not using it in a positive as a positive Dep- thing. Yeah, it depends on what side you're talking about. Yeah, right, but you you were saying it as in a um, as in a, a part of the process, something will correct itself to like bring itself back, but not not correct itself in a positive. Again, depending on which it, side of the aisle, it's you're correct. On. Yeah, it's correcting itself yeah. to do what it's supposed to do. The system is doing what it was designed to do, in the sense of what I'm saying. Like there was a um, yeah, there was a class I took at BYU on uh, I think it was early America or something, you know, founding mm-hmm. fathers kind of thing. And they were talking about democracy in general and how in early Greece they kept trying in kind of these little little sections where they were kind of proof of concept governments, right? Um, and they kept trying to do democracy and democracy failed over and over and over again for two reasons. Uh, one reason was special interest always gets involved, which is, I mean, just so evident today. Right. But the other reason, which is really obvious to some people but not to others, is as soon as one group gets voted into power, they start making laws to make it so the group that's not in power, right? you know, they have fewer and fewer uh, rules that, that that help them, right? So they'll put ro- roadblocks in to prevent that group from ever getting power again. And so inevitably, whoever gets the power begins to put things in place to mm-hmm. make sure that those who don't have power can never get it. And so like in the the case of America, one of the reasons our democracy has lasted so long is we're actually a republic, right? We have representatives. It's right. not it's not purely it's not pure democracy, correct. How that's working out is debatable. But like that was one of the things that we did as a country. Mm-hmm. But to your point, to my point earlier, when someone gets power, they don't want anyone else to have that power. When right. there is a Greenwich, they don't want a Waterbury to be Greenwich tomorrow. They don't want two Greenwiches, mm-hmm. right? And so they're going to do whatever they can to be Greenwich, or to be whatever it is that that they they you know that they hold so dear. Mm-hmm. And most of what they hold so dear is they just don't want to change, right? They don't want to be less comfortable, right? Yeah, I hear you. I do think, um, interestingly enough, like I'm actually totally unaware of these court cases. So I feel like a little. Um, well, and again, I'm not naming any specific. I'm just thinking things that are coming down the line 
I'm thinking about they did strike down recently with schools are dealing with the affirmative action. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was a big one that affected us. Yeah. Uh, so and they talk about more coming out of line. And I'm thinking about specifically states, states that are saying like you're getting to say like Florida. And it's, it's, it's more than just Florida. Florida had probably has the biggest name, but it's more than just Florida who are saying you we're not doing critical race theory. We're not doing these things. Um, you know, I, I think it's funny sometimes because I feel like there's that sense that that won't happen here. And I, I hear I mean in Connecticut and New England. And I'm always saying, like, it can very much happen here. And things like this do happen here. It's I feel very I do feel privileged to live this part of my life in New England. Because. It, it's weird, like as much as as weird as the the culture is it's it's a weird type of i don't know me we talked about this on a previous podcast it's a weird type of welcoming it's like i don't feel totally like shun but i do feel somewhat welcome and i and i say this and I, as bad as this sounds i do consider the privilege to be here but i think the downside of that is sometimes it's like oh we'll be okay we don't do that type of stuff here and it's like we absolutely we absolutely do it here and these things can absolutely happen here in our schools. And there's, you know, I, you know, and maybe I'm a, I'm somewhat of a pessimist on it sometimes, but that's just because, you know, you I just think about my time here on this earth. Yeah. It, I I think, you know, part of it, you, you pointing to Florida in this case, um, I think part of it is because the 50 states are so different. Right, like the difference between Salt Lake City, Utah, and Jersey City, Jersey. I mean, we're talking very different cultures, very right. different um, values. It's a good book on that, by the way. Is there what's it called? Yeah, I have to look it up. Okay, while well, you look that up, I just I was just thinking. Um, one of my dearest friends to this day. There's there's few men I love more uh, than than thank my, you than than Terrence, uh, but also um, my friend Carlos. And growing up, we were like, I, you know, as far as best friends go. Um, he was one of my just absolute dearest friends. And we we did so many goofy things together. And um, we keep in touch. And just recently, I'm saying recently, probably about a year ago, I was talking to him. Because um, he's now living in Pennsylvania. And I was just asking him what it's like there. And, and as we got into it, he was like, you know, growing up, I didn't necessarily consider myself Mexican. Because it just, you know, my friends were anything and 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 at no point did me being mexican affect whether you know we were going to do x y or z or if i was going to be allowed in that house or restaurant or if i was going to be welcome right right so in our little which is ironic because we're we eventually become you know simi valley which is where we're growing up where carlos is uh ironic we're the we're the rodney king trial right we got our issues we We definitely have our issues but like just he himself coming up and um he he said he always felt just like one of everybody else. He felt mm-hmm. like there was never any reason to be to to think about being Mexican. Right. He said. Then he moved to Ohio, and like all of a sudden he was like, "Should I be out this late? Should I go to this place without one of my white friends?" And uh, he said, "Like everything shifted just because of the geography." And um, I think I can't remember what he said about where he's at in Pennsylvania, but it never crossed my mind until he had said that, that just 
going to a different location would change everything about how comfortable you feel. Right. Um, and so I, goodness, I think it's so complicated. So when you're talking about state cases, now that's like, well, of course, there's certain states that are absolutely going to want to stay a certain way. But when we talk about federal, I, I, it just depends on the on the day, right? Like one day I'm like, of course, federal is going to be completely oh, yeah. the worst. And the next day I just have like, you know, the collective, I feel like the collective is getting better and better and better, right? Like, yeah, it's slow and yeah, it's painful, but are we better at um, including people in the workplace? We're better. We're not great, but mm. we're better than we were in the 40s. Are, right. are women, a woman CEO is not unheard of and it would have been totally unheard of uh even 20 years ago 15 years ago and so we are taking our baby steps to get there and so like in the back of my mind i feel like collectively as slow and as painful as it is we're headed in the right direction today and then tomorrow you might ask me and then i'll just give you every reason that we're the worst place in the world and uh that's really difficult but i think when you when you localize it by state it's just so much easier to say that's a problem, that's a problem, that's a problem. Or depending on which side of the aisle you're on, look, they're doing it right. Um, it's but when I said, oh, the college system, you know, it's all corrupt, and you're like, well, hold on, you know, there's a lot of factors you're not looking at. Uh, I just feel like every it's so exhausting to be human because like every topic you touch ends up being a spider web of issues that you need to look at, right? And I I'll even you know. Uh, challenge myself even in saying that there should be an easy fix there should be an easier fix than putting so many students into this type of debt especially when I mean through years education has been shown to be one of the equalizers or at least uh, upward mobility piece and I mean this is just in the world in general you know knowing how to Knowing how to read, know how to write, know how to do a math. It's like a, it's a upward mobility thing. And it's a privilege that a lot of people still don't have. Uh, but in saying that, when we talk about it in that sense, it should be better. High schools should be better equipped. Teachers should be, we always applaud our teachers. And we uh, spoke about this. Well, there was a lecture on this one time. We always congratulate our teachers, but we don't do it monetarily. And there's just so many factors behind behind it that, again, I won't get into on this show. But I'll say one of them is one of my I would dare say is if if teaching was a male dominated field, do we think teachers would be getting paid more like MDs and lawyers or would they have more advocacy then? But, you know, and the, that history plays out in a funny way when you look at it. But. We'll we'll congratulate our teachers. We'll pat them on the back. We'll say, "Yay, great job, great job!" And these are the people who make our future: astronauts, researchers, doctors. How about give them some raises? Well, wait, hey, hey, this is a job where you do it because this is a thankless job. Also, y'all should know that coming in, you don't do this for the money. And it's like, well, yeah, should I be doing it for the money? I I kind of do do it for my paycheck, like. Yeah. Again, and I'm going down another rabbit hole now, but I think it's there should be an easier fix, some type of way. Um, well, no, I think it's, it's enough smart people in the world to get together and say, why don't we do some things differently? 
it's it, no, I think this, this <clears throat> circles all the way back. I think it's the perfect way to kind of like wrap up because we are at the end of the hour. But, you know, at the beginning, I was saying, so now I volunteer 200 hours, right? And in Greenwich, they're going to pay someone $350,000 to come in and make sure their kids are even better. So is it is it ethical to have the person do it for free because it's the right thing and it's the poor kids, you know, or is right. it? Or is it the right thing to pay them the three hundred thousand dollars that they are getting paid in in a, in a wealthier part of the state? I hope it's not three hundred thousand. Well, whatever gonna... it is, you know what I'm saying. Like, to, someone's getting paid because it's worth that much to that group of no, individuals. So true. So and, true. And another person has to volunteer and be a quote unquote good person, right? Mm-hmm. They have to be a good person in order to make it happen. And and you're right. Like I never even. As sad as it is, I never even thought of like part of the reason that teachers are getting paid is there's this head of household idea, right? And I remember working for a company where they were kind of open about the fact that they were going to give men the raises first because they had to provide for their family, right? That mentality, that was 20 years ago, 25 years ago that yeah. I started professional work. And that was that was open, right? right. And oh, somebody goodness. still had that same mindset now and somebody... Oh yeah, this we we've somebody not still running, that. Yeah. yeah, somebody's still running a company that said that 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 feeling probably didn't go away. I, I'm willing, I'm willing to bet that same company, as much as I love some of the people there, I don't think that that philosophy has evolved at all. all right. All right, man. Uh, thanks for indulging me. Uh, I we think, were all over the nation today. Sorry, New England. If sorry for people who were kicking in for the no, I'm not for just a new just a New England standpoint, but. You definitely got a standpoint and you probably learned something about New England that you may not have known before. Yeah, I feel like this is absolutely New England. No oh, you, apologies You may have thought me. about it. Yeah. You, may, you may have thought, at least thought about it. Yeah. All right, so we're we're wrapping up. Um, thank you for listening here at the end of the hour. Thank you, Bum Bum Vavant, for leading us in and out. Uh, appreciate you. For Travis Poppleton. And Terrence, it's so hard living when you're dead. Abney. This is the Connecticut Show. Love, peace. And take care of yourselves this weekend. Don't watch the Super Bowl. <laughs>